I, um, I love Easter. I love Christmas. Christmas is really cool and fun and you get presents and you do the dinner thing. But I really love Easter because it, it brings our faith to a nexus. It brings our, our faith to a, a, a convergence between uh, what Jesus did for us and what it means for us today. So I was raised in a Greek Orthodox church, so I'm going to see if you guys know how to respond to this. I'll say, Christos Anesti, what do you say? He's risen indeed. Yeah, you can go English if you really want to. <laughs> you say, Alithos Anesti, which means he has risen indeed. Now, this is part of our, our story. This is part of our faith story through the whole year, but I love that Easter we can really focus and remember what it means for us. Now, um, I, uh, last week, I preached in a church in Warrigal, and I left here and went straight there. And I thought to myself, you know what, I really don't like red lights. Who likes red lights? <laughs> yeah, okay, no one. So, you know, between my house and Lilydale, and to get on the other side of Baronia, there's like 16 sets of red lights. And I thought, you know what, no, nah, I'm going to see what Google Maps has to say about it. So I went to Google Maps, and it told me to go the back way. I thought, back way, I'm from the country, this is nothing. Yeah, let's, let's do it, let's do it. So I went the back way, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Hit the, uh, the Warburton Highway, yeah, this is going to be easy. Ten minutes, easy. And what happened was I hit, I said, turn left. I'm like, turn left, there's no road there. Oh, actually, that little track, is that a road? Oh, well, I'm committed now. I reversed up and went up this dirt road that was windy and bumpy and was corrugated. Some parts probably shouldn't even be classified as a road, but it was. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. My phone had no reception. And this is how bad it was. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just winging it here. So I was driving along about 30 k's an hour thinking, this is cutting into my red light time. I could have gone through on asphalt. But I was driving along and I turned this corner and there was this man who had overalls with no shirt on underneath. And I'm sure he was a quality guy, but he was walking there and he was walking a chicken. <laughs> walking a ch I thought to myself, I'm not in Melbourne anymore. <laughs> and I finally got there. My brother said, where were you? I said, don't even ask. Okay, don't even ask. But the reality is that we all... Well, I don't know if we all, but I really don't like waiting for things. And red lights, for example, is a small example of that. Because we want it now. We want the thing now. We don't want to have to wait. We don't have to do unnecessary hanging around. Uh, we want the fastest computer. We want the fastest phone, the fastest watch. I don't know, the fastest everything. We want it right now. So it could be something small, like a red light, or a phone. Or it could be something quite big as well, that you're waiting for. When my, um, those that are part of our KSBC family here would know that my dad went to, to prison for something that he didn't do when he was 15. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, I'm waiting for you to do something here. This makes no sense, but God, I'm going to wait and see what's going to happen from this. I'm going to see what good can possibly come out of this. I waited for two years. And he finally came through. If he didn't go to prison, I wouldn't be standing here today, that's for sure. If you want more information, talk to me afterwards. It's a great story. But how many of us here this morning are waiting for something in life? Maybe something's happened over here 
and you want to be over there. There's this gap of waiting. You don't know how it's going to look. You don't know how far, how long it's going to take to get to that place. It could be years. You hope not, because you want it now. But what is it for you that's causing anxiety, stress, or worry? I can say from experience, not because I'm a, I'm a pastor up here with the microphone, but I can say that God cares about that period of waiting. He wants to stand in that gap. And this is the Easter story, that Jesus stands in that gap for us. We've been reconciled. We've been brought back together with him. Now, during this season, I want to highlight a story in the Bible that I really think shows the importance of waiting. Now, I'm not going to focus on... um, on the classic examples, I'm going to focus on, on the disciples. So the disciples, um, well, it's, it's, they're not on screen, it's a picture of a movie that they look like, probably, maybe. But the disciples were people that were chosen by Jesus. See, back in the day, back in the day, what would happen is you would hit about 12 years old and you'd have to go through all these rigorous Jewish tests, like about, about the, the scriptures, about tradition... If you passed, great, you were in the club, you were one of the teachers, you were, you know, you were trained as a rabbi. If you failed, you weren't cast off, but people would have said, oh, well, just become a fisherman, just become a, a tax collector. Oh. You know, that's really your calling in life. You don't belong because you weren't applied enough. But I love the fact that Jesus chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose the scum of society. Because Jesus wants availability. Not ability, availability. So if you're coming here this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe the first time since Christmas, and you're thinking, I haven't got it together. I don't know if, if I belong. I don't really know if this is really for me. Maybe I need to get to a certain point in my faith where I can then become become part of God's family. But Jesus says, all you have to do is be available. Now, I love the disciples. They're some of my favorite characters in the Bible because they were great, but as I said, they weren't the most switched on when it comes to, to, to learning about stuff. And Jesus didn't help this cause by speaking in parables, by speaking in illustrations. So when Jesus said things like, I am the good shepherd... It doesn't mean Jesus actually has sheep. It means that he guides his flock. He guides the people who choose to follow him. When he says, I am the light of the world, Jesus isn't claiming to be a 45-watt light bulb. He is saying, I am a light in a, in a dark and distinct place. I want to bring sight to everyone, and I shine a light for everyone. When he says he is the bridegroom, Jesus wasn't married. But says he chose his church the same way that we choose our partners and we, we serve sacrificially. That's what Jesus does for us. He serves sacrificially and relationally. When it says he is the bread of life, he's not claiming to be yeast, water, and salt. He is saying that I give spiritual nourishment. So there are sometimes things that Jesus said that really confused the disciples, as you can understand. They're like, what's Jesus talking about here? This is a bit out there. That's why they always ask, what do you mean by that, Jesus? What do you mean? What do you mean? And um, there were some times where Jesus was actually really candid, really black and white. No metaphors needed. 
So in Matthew 20, if you're following along, Matthew 20, 17 to 19, Jesus was as black and white as you can get. He was as down the line as you can possibly get. It says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, talking about himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, so the religious leaders, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus is painting some sort of abstract metaphor here. He is saying that this is actually going to happen. I will be handed over. I will be beaten. I'll be flogged. I will be mocked. But this is the kicker at the very end. I will be raised on the third day. So it's very evident what Jesus was saying. This is actually going to happen. They always knew that Jesus spoke truth. But even with the disciples who journeyed with Jesus, there was still this seed of doubt. What if something goes wrong? Oh, what if, what if you know, we're not sure about what's going to happen? What if something happens that we're not expecting? What if Jesus doesn't come back? What if he stays in the grave? What are we going to do? It's so easy we can think, oh, silly disciples, they should know better. But we all have doubts too. Anyway, it's okay. But it's what we do with those doubts is what matters. So as he predicted, Jesus is arrested. He is beaten. He is whipped. He is nailed to a cross. And he cries out. Now the word here in the Greek isn't just a, oh Jesus, you know, oh God, I'm, I'm dying. You know, he actually cried out like a huge, like gut-wrenching um, scream. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So God, I'm coming to you now. Father, it's, it's all you. When he has said this, he breathed his last breath and he dies. See, what happens next? Straight up, this is so significant. This is when it goes into a spiritual place. Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, talking about directly after he cries this out. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this is significant. Um, the, the temple was a place where the, the, the Jewish people worshipped. And there was this place called the Holy of Holies that was divided by this big curtain that was huge. And only the highest priest, only the most religious, pious person could go in there and intercede on behalf of man for God. Only one person. So there's this literal curtain separating God and man. That was there since the fall in the Garden of Eden. This actual metaphor as well. So when the, when the curtain tore in two, it was a way of saying, it's done. It, there's no more separation between us and God. We can go to the Father through Jesus. It's easy. It is God. There's nothing separating else from now on. But all the disciples knew at this time was that their Jesus, their teacher, their mentor was dead. Oh, yeah, but we knew what he was going to say. He's going to come back. Yeah, but he's dead. What's going to happen? What if he doesn't come back? Oh, all these doubts come in. 
They had journeyed with this guy, Jesus, for three years. They had done life with him. They sacrificed their livelihood. They sacrificed their social status, all to follow this man named Jesus. And now suddenly, he was gone. So now the disciples had entered a gap of waiting. They were over here. Oh, Jesus has died. Okay, we know what he said. We know what he said, but how long is this gap going to be? What's going to happen in this gap, this season of waiting? I just don't know. So in their gap, in their season of heartbreak, of stress, anxiety, and uncertainty, what did they do? They went in hiding. They fled to the upper room, which was a place in houses that was sort of, you couldn't see it from the outside, it was private, it's where people would go to have privacy. So they hid in the upper room, not because they were ashamed, but because they were fearful that what happened to Jesus might actually happen to them as well. They might actually be persecuted, they might be called on account again. So as they went hiding, let's pick it up from John 20, 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. See, in the middle of their despair, just when we thought the story was over, just when they didn't know what was going to happen, Jesus shows up. And the very first words he says are so powerful. He could have said something really uh, profound and, and deep, like something out of a Marvel film. He could have said, you know, something like Artie. He could have said, I'm back. That would have been pretty cool. In the Austrian accent, it would have been even cooler. Or he could have said something really deep and profound, like, here I am in all my infinite power and glory and wisdom to redeem mankind. He could have said that. It would have been cool as well. But no, he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I give you peace. But not only that, he came to where the disciples were. He met them where they were. This really stood out to me. If you are in that place of waiting in the gap, not knowing what life's going to happen, or not knowing how God's going to move, if you're in that period of stress or anxiety or not sure what's going to happen in your life, the fact is that Jesus will meet you in that place, the same way he did with the disciples. He could have easily said, he could have sent an angel to the, to the disciples in the upper room saying, meet me at the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have said, meet me at the temple. But no, Jesus went to where they were and he said, peace be with you. I'm convinced that wherever you are, here this morning, I'm convinced that Jesus yearns to say these words to you. Peace be with you. And we often think that peace in our context is the absence of war. But in the godly sense, peace is actually the, absence, uh, the presence of God. That's what peace is. When we have God, we have peace. See, when we are weak, when we are worried, when we don't know what to do, I know for a fact, I've felt it, that that is God's sweet spot. That's where he works some of his best stuff 
Will you allow him to do that? Maybe for you, church has become a bit of an optional extra. Maybe it's just something that you do on Easter or Christmas. Maybe it's something that you do every Sunday, but you know, it's just part of your, your, your routine. But I want to tell you that Jesus wants to stand in the gap. Whatever that is. He wants to meet you where you are. You don't need a certain level of spirituality. You don't need to be able to recite every book of the Bible. You don't need to be able to recite the Ten Commandments. All he wants you to do is say, I'm available. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that what I'm going through right now is tough. This period of waiting, I, I, I just can't do it anymore. That's where Jesus wants to meet you. And maybe you're thinking, oh, maybe Jesus never rose from the dead. Maybe this whole resurrection idea, I, I don't know if that's actually true. But once again, this points to the disciples. They witnessed Jesus alive. They, they ministered with Jesus after he is raised from the dead for, for several days. They were so firm in their belief that Jesus was alive that they were willing to be ridiculed, persecuted, jailed, and murdered for what they believed. And I've got a a background in psychology, and I know for a fact that people will not die for something that, that they know is a lie. They won't. But they said, do what you want, do your worst. I know that Jesus is the truth because I have seen him and I've seen him work in my life. I still doubt. I'm a pastor and I still doubt. That's okay. Then I remember what, what Jesus has done in my life. Now, it wouldn't be a Luke message without a footy reference. You had about eight from Mark Purser on Friday. Uh, this was me a couple of weeks ago. Can you see that? I'm a Collingwood supporter. Okay, putting it out there now. Talk to me afterwards. I'm a Collingwood supporter, and we were dropping off my daughter. My wife and I were dropping off my daughter at Kinder at Max Mount Evelyn Christian School. And I got out of the car, and I turned around and I saw these three guys with Collingwood T-shirts. I thought, oh, that's cool. I saw Chris Mayne, the guy on the right. I saw his hair. I'm like, oh, that's Chris Mayne. He's getting paid a million dollars a year to do nothing. But that's another story. But what happened is I was, oh, I was like, oh, I know those guys. So my wife would say that I ditched my daughter. I didn't ditch her. I just said, stay there, and I ran off. No, no, Sam had it covered. But I actually said, do you mind if I go and talk to these guys? I know who they are. And Sam's like, yeah, whatever. So I went, and I went to them and said, oh, you know, it's Jeremy Howe. said, hey, Jeremy, how you doing? Jared, how you doing? How's Wontaggy? He's from Wontaggy. I know all this stuff about him, which is sort of sick. And I said to Chris Mayne, hey, Chris, how you doing? I was going to throw something about him playing in the reserves, but I didn't want to do that. And then I, um, I'm like, how are you doing, guys? They're like, oh, yeah, good. I'm thinking to myself, wow, I feel like I know these guys, but they haven't got a clue who I am. I'm like, I know all their stats. I know that Jeremy Howe came from, from Melbourne and Chris Mann came from Fremantle and Jared Blair is still taller than me. He's still one of the shortest players in the AFL. And I felt like I knew them, but they didn't know me. And I think that's how it can be with us and God at times. We feel like we know everything about God. 
Maybe we know the basic stuff about the Easter story, the Christmas story. Maybe you went through Sunday school and you learned all the, the Jonah and the whale stuff and the Noah's Ark and all that sort of stuff. Maybe you know all about God. But does he know you? Do you know him intimately? Does he know what makes you tick? Do you let him in? You can have this relationship of having God far off where you know everything about him. Yeah, you know, you've you got to figure it out. Tell me all about it later because I want to figure it out too. But maybe it's one way. I want to challenge us here this morning to develop a deep relationship with Jesus. That's what he wants. And even Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So even Paul, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he met him face to face. Paul's, Paul's business before becoming a follower of Jesus was murdering Christians. So for him then to meet Jesus on this road and say, I still want to know him, that's powerful. Is that something that you ask yourselves as well? I want to know Christ. Not know about Christ, that's still good, but I want to know Christ. Because that is where change comes from. That is where your gap becomes so much clearer. So are you waiting on God here this morning? Are you in a season of uncertainty? He wants to meet you where you are, wherever that is, wherever that is. Or are you hiding in the upper room? Maybe you do this stuff once in a while. Maybe when it comes to talk about faith or whatever faith you have, are you maybe not ashamed, but a bit scared about what it's going to mean to allow Jesus to stand in that gap? to then allow Jesus to, the old song, take the wheel. Are you willing to do that? Or are you willing to keep God at arm's length and say, okay, thanks God, I'll see you at Christmas. So let's celebrate his death, but let's celebrate his resurrection. Because this is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate that he has been raised to life and he gives us life because of this. So I want to invite the uh, communion stewards forward, please, while I... Um, while I continue a little bit. So the Easter story is more than chocolate eggs. It's more than hot cross buns on Easter or the Easter bunny or watching the footy over the weekend. The true reason is about Jesus' death. So as the uh, stewards hand out the elements, there's nothing special about this bread. It's not going to magically become Jesus' body. Especially the juice as well. It's just grape juice. But it's what it symbolises. Symbolises so much. Could we hand it out, guys? That'd be great. So as you take it, please hold on to both elements and we'll, uh, we'll do this together uh, in unity. But the true gap I want to talk about is the gospel. The gospel is all about a gap that was formed between us and God. When we sinned, 
when we continue to sin, there is this huge gap between us and God, and we cannot reach the other side. If you're feeling, I don't, I don't feel God, I don't know him, it's because there's this huge chasm in between that is filled with sin. But Jesus stands in that gap, and he brings you over to know God. That's the gospel, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel, in a nutshell. If you don't know Jesus, if you maybe see it like Chris Mayne and Jeremy Howe and Jared Blair from before, that you just see them from afar, Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. And maybe this morning is a place to do that. As the veil tore, we were reunited with God. So as the elements continue to be handed out, I'm going to throw to a quick video and you can look at the words if you want. You can just do this in your own time. But we do that. If this is foreign to you, just hold on to the bread and the, and the drink and we'll have a couple of bite, bobble rings in a second. But let's throw the video. Thanks, Dave. And there is beauty in the gospel. There is beauty in what Jesus has done for us. So as we, uh, as we eat and drink in a second, I want us to remember what he did for us, what it means for us, that we too don't have to fear death anymore, that death has lost its sting. Piper, thank you. Luke 22, verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Let's eat together, church. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. He lives. <laughs> what else needs to be said here on this Easter Sunday? So Easter Sunday is so significant as we take the elements and remember what he has done for us. It shows that God is a redemptive God. That God is in the business of restoration, whatever that looks like. But the best part is he initiates with us. He meets us in that place. And I don't believe you're here this morning by accident, that you just want to get it over and done with, maybe. But the reality is that I believe that God wants to meet us where we are at. See, because he lives, we don't have to wait in that gap. There will be gaps, but Jesus will be there with us. Because he lives, we don't have to fear. Because he lives, we live. And because he lives, this is so important, because he lives, we are saved. That's the message this morning. Good Friday can have a bit of a, uh, a sombre feel, and it did a little bit. But let's celebrate this. I was going to bring party poppers, but I thought I'd better not. They're in my office, but I, I don't want to do that. But this is, this is a celebration. Let's celebrate that here this morning. He lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given your gift of Jesus for us, Lord. That he stands in the gap when all else was lost, Father. We thank you, Lord, that, that you save us. Lord, we thank you that you come to the place where we are at. You initiate with us, Lord. You meet us at the point wherever we are in life. And Lord, as we remember what you've done for us over that Easter period, Lord, Let's also remember what you continue to do for us today. Because you live, we can live as well. Amen.